Good morning. I invite you to open your Bible. Do you have your copy of God's Word? I hope that you do. Those on, at home, online, I encourage you to get your Bible and follow along with us. And we're in the wonderful book of Romans and part of the inspired Word of God. And if you'll open it with me and find the book of Romans, and we're, yes, still in chapter number one. And so if you'll find your copy of God's Word, Romans chapter number one, And we're going to begin today with verse number 8. So do you have your Bible? Find it and find Romans chapter 1. And we're going to begin with verse number 8. Remember with me as we look into this passage before we read it, that Romans is a letter. It is written from the Apostle Paul. It is indeed a letter. He is writing to the church at Rome. He is writing to believers made up of Jews and Gentiles both. It is not just a letter, but it is also a great theological statement. It's a laying out of Paul's gospel that he preaches to a church filled with members and believers that he's never met personally. And he begins with talking uh, with them uh, as he lays this out. How are we made right with God and how do we live right before God? And so this is the theme of this great, wonderful book of Romans. And so it is written at the hand of the Apostle Paul, formerly Saul of Tarsus, to these Jewish and Gentile believers. Now the first part of the chapter, Paul identifies himself and he lays out for them his credentials, so to speak, his authority to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And then he addresses these Roman believers And he tells them the gospel in a nutshell, and then their identity in Christ. Now he comes as in verse number 8, and he begins to talk with them about his heart's desire and prayer for them. So join me in chapter chapter 1, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. God is my witness, whom I am served with my spirit in telling the good news about his Son, that I constantly mention you, always asking in my prayers that if somehow, in God's will, I may at least succeed in coming to you, for I want very much to see you, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, I often planned to come to you, but was prevented until now, in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you, just if I had among the rest of the Gentiles, I am obligated both to Greeks and barbarians, both to wise and the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we look at this text of Scripture today, we ask that you would speak to our hearts through it. Holy Spirit of God, we know that you are here working in us and among us. Lord, as you've preserved this scripture, as you preserve this letter, 
You did it for our instruction, for our strengthening, for our encouragement. And Father, today I pray that as we approach this text, we would not do so flippantly, but we would with approach it humbly and reverently and joyfully and thankfully. And as we hear the word, we would listen attentively with a desire to please you and to honor you. Father, today, there are many things that want to distract us. I pray that, Father, you would help us by your Spirit to set those things aside and to listen to you. Holy Spirit of God, we ask you to convict us. We ask you to confront us. We ask you to comfort us. We ask you to change us. We need you. Thank you, Father, so much for loving us. And thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his strong and powerful name that we pray. Amen. As you look into this passage that we looked at today, you see the harp, the heart in the prayer of this one great missionary, the Apostle Paul, and it speaks to us. Now, these questions that I'm going to ask right now, and uh, they would be great for your community group. Number one, as we look in this passage of Scripture, is what is Paul's longing? What is the longing that he has? Secondly, what is he praying? What is the prayer that's on his lips? Third thing you might consider is how is he praying? The other thing you would consider in this text is what is he thankful for? Another question that you might consider, what is he submissive to? Another question that you might consider is what is he obligated to do? And then finally, what is he eager to do? Look at these, these uh, questions will help you as you look at this text together. First of all, notice what he's thankful for. Verse number, one, verse number eight. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because the news of your faith is re being reported in all the world. Now notice, don't skip over the word first. He begins a list and then doesn't start. He doesn't, if you're looking for the second, he never gets around to second. He just says first. And does that ever happen to you? He, you start to, start to say something, you say, first of all, but you never get to the second of all or third of all. And Paul's just filled with that emotion and joy and, he, and, 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 and the burden that is on his heart. And he says, first of all, and I think what he really means is, foremost, uh, before anything else I have to say, let me tell you this. And it's the priority in his life. First of all, I thank God for you. It's thanksgiving. It's the priority of what he wants to say to them first. Let me ask you a question. Is thanksgiving a priority in your life? Is the first thing to roll off your tongue during these days, the first thing to come out of your lips, is it thanksgiving for how God is at work? I think there's something curiously and poisonously wrong in our culture that we have no thanksgiving but we're we're quick to make complaint 
And it's, that has even come into the culture of the church. The first people, the, people, the question that people are considering are questions about their own self, their own ideas, their own complaints. But the first thing on their lips is not, how is God at work? How can I rejoice in how God is at work? Do you see the problem here? How grateful I am that God is working among his people. And that's the very heart of this missionary. When he hears of the good news of how these people have accepted Christ and their faith, he is filled with thanksgiving first and foremost and everything else. And then notice his personal prayer to, and in that thanksgiving. And notice his relationship with the Lord. I thank my God. Don't skip over that. He said, I'm so filled with thanksgiving to my God. Notice that possessive pronoun that is there, that personal pronoun that is there. It is my God. It is a very personal relationship. I, I, this is a God that I know personally. Paul uses this phrase in other places, doesn't he? In Philippians chapter 1, doesn't he say, I thank my God in every remembrance of you. In Philippians 4.19, he says, And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. So do you hear it? Do you? It is a personal relationship between Paul and the Lord. It's a trusted relationship. It's a personal and confident relationship with the Lord. It's an intimate relationship. My God. I thank my God, whom I serve, and I serve him by preaching the gospel, and I'm walking with him, and I'm trying to carry out what he's called me to do, and he knows me, and I know him, and I'm reliant upon him, and he's guiding me every step of the way. Do you know him? Do you know him personally in your life? Have you trusted him? And can you say, that he is my God. Not only does he say first, I thank my God. How does he thank him? It is a prayer that is directive. It is through Jesus Christ. The agency, the way, the means by which he approaches God in thanksgiving is through Jesus Christ. In the book of Hebrews, chapter number 4, it reminds us, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. He says, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. My friends, you've got a great and wonderful high priest, and we come to God through Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's not trying to teach that here. It just flows out of his mouth naturally because Paul knows that the only access that he has to God is through Jesus Christ. Amen? Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, how? By the blood of Jesus. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus. Because our authority is found in Jesus Christ. No man can come to the Father except through Jesus Christ. 
So we pray in his name. Now listen, listen closely. When you pray, you don't pray in your name. Are you all awake today? You don't pray in your name. Somebody should say, yes, that's right. You don't pray in your works. You don't earn a right relationship with God. You don't pray in your church's name. You certainly don't pray in Pastor Tim's name. You don't pray in your parents' name or your grandparents' name or a former church Christian that lived in ancient years ago. You don't pray in Mary's name. You pray in Jesus' name. Because he is our high priest. Thirdly, it's a specific prayer. It's a specific prayer of thanksgiving. He's praying because your faith is being proclaimed in the whole world. Now, here's a little bit of hyperbole, right? It's not the He's saying in the known Roman world, everywhere I go, I keep hearing about you and about your faith and how God is at work. And people are talking about it and celebrating it and thanking God about what he's doing. Hey, have you heard? Have you heard? Have you heard what's happening at Rome? Even in Rome, there's a church. Even in Rome, even in Babylon the Great, even in Rome, there are Gentiles and Jews that are calling on the name of the Lord Jesus and being baptized and growing in their faith. God is at work. Even in Rome, people are following Jesus. The church is expanding. There's never even been an apostle there. And yet the church of God is flourishing. Praise the name of the Lord. What joy is in the apostle's heart. Doesn't it just thrill you when you hear how God's at work in other churches, in other places, in other countries, where God is at working among other peoples not like us? Doesn't it thrill your heart? Shouldn't it thrill your heart? Why wouldn't it thrill you? If you hear that XYZ Church down the street is flourishing, God's re- there's a renewal, revival, repentance, salvation, and baptisms, don't you think we ought to say, hallelujah, that is awesome. And when you hear that God is blessing and believers are being born again in Afghanistan and Iran and Iraq and and China. Wouldn't you be happy about that? The reasons we sometimes are not is because we make it about us, competition, politic, geopolitical issues. Prejudice in our heart. Paul said, I, I am so thrilled when I hear how the gospel is spreading. Very similar things Paul says in the book of Colossians. We've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It's bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. 
Wow. Something very similar is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. Listen to what Paul says. As a result, you've become an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia, Macedonia, Macedonia and <laughs> can't even talk, Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith and God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything. And this is what people are saying. They are reporting what kind of reception we had from you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. It's beautiful. Well, in the same way, this is happening in Rome, and Paul is so grateful. Second thing I want you to notice is not only this thanksgiving that's poured out to God, but in verse number 9, He's praying for them. Now, look with me. God is my witness, how I'm, whom I serve with my spirit in telling the good news about a son that I constantly mention you, always asking in my prayers if somehow in God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So the question is, how is he praying? First of all, he says, he invokes God. He invokes God like an oath. He said, as God is my witness, he says, it, what he's saying is, I'm sincerely praying for you. The Lord knows me. The Lord is my witness. I'm truthful in this matter. God knows my heart, and God knows my prayer life, and he watches over me with a watchful eye. And so what I'm telling you is the truth. He says, not only I pray sincerely, but I pray constantly. Notice what he says in verse number 9. He says, I constantly mention you. He says it two times here, really. He says, I'm regularly and consistently praying for you. Now listen, the Apostle Paul was a busy man. You and I cannot even fathom the kind of life that Paul lived. He didn't have all the conveniences of today, the travel conveniences, the plumbing conveniences, the supermarket conveniences, the paved road conveniences like we do. He didn't have any of those modern luxuries. I mean, seriously, he didn't even have Instagram. And yet the gospel was being, the, the, it was being spread all over the world what was have to happen in Rome. And Apostle Paul knew dangers and struggles and sickness, and, and he had letters that he wrote and evangelizing and teaching and equipping, yet in all of his busyness, he was a man of prayer. He prayed for the other churches, and he prayed for the church in Rome, and he was burdened and grateful, and thankful, and longing to meet them, and to see them, and minister among them. What is he praying? Notice in verse number 10, he's asking if somehow, in God's will, he might succeed in coming to them. He says, I'm always asking in my prayers if somehow I might come to you, that I might come and see you, that I might minister among you. Actually, the word that is used here, and I think it's important to just kind of point this out for a moment. He says, 
uh, it's translated the word succeed, and I, I understand maybe why, but really it puts the emphasis uh, on the wrong thing. Because if you translate it succeed, it puts it on Paul's efforts. And I think a better translation that some of the other translations have used is, that, is the word prosper. And I pray that I might be prosperous in this, that God would provide the way that I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God. That it's not Paul's success, it's not Paul's striving, it's not Paul's succeeding. Weymouth translates it like this, that God might clear a way for me to come to you. Paul wants to come, but he realizes it's God, God's will that I might come to you, that God would open the way, God would open a path and might clear a way for me to come to you and that I might minister among you. Now, what does he defer to? I think that's an important question. And, and look in verse number 10. I think don't, let's don't miss this very salient point. He says that somehow in God's will, may I come but I submit and yield to God's will. Paul made plans. Paul made strategies. But in the end, it's the will of God. Amen? Notice with me, he says in verse number 13, I don't want you to be unaware about this. Don't, don't you be ignorant about this, brothers and sisters. I often planned. So Paul, Paul made plans, right? Verse 13. But was what? Prevented or hindered until now. He says, I've experienced hindrances. Anybody ever experienced any hindrances in your life? It can be so frustrating. Notice with me, do you have, do you have stay with me. Romans chapter 15. Listen to these hindrances that Paul had experienced in his life. He he knew them. Notice in Romans chapter 15, verse number 18, listen to Paul as he writes later in the... He says... Actually, I'm going to begin with verse number 22. This is why I have been, have been prevented many times for coming to you. But now I no longer have any work to do in these regions. I have strongly desired for many years to come to you. So whenever I travel to Spain, uh, for I hope to see you when I pass through and to be assisted by you for my journey there, once I have first enjoyed your company for a while, right now I'm traveling to Jerusalem to serve the saints because Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So they were pleased and, indeed are, in, and are indeed indebted to them for the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual benefits, then they're obligated to minister them in material needs. So when I finish this and safely delivered the funds to them, I will visit you on the way to Spain. So Paul's made plans. Plans is to come to Rome after he finishes this journey to Jerusalem, and yet Paul knew hindrances. 
He says, I've been hindered. I've been hindered because of the ministry. The ministry needs were huge in Asia and Macedonia and Greece. And because I've been laboring there in that open door God set before me, that has prevented me from getting to you so far. But I want to come. I intend to come. And I'm making plans to come. Sometimes Paul was hindered because of sickness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he talks about being sick nearly to death. So sickness sometimes hindered Paul. Sometimes Satan hindered Paul. In 1 Thessalonians 2.18, it says that we were hindered by Satan. Satan hindered us. And sometimes Satan tries to throw roadblocks in the way. But God's on the throne. Sometimes you're hindered by being in prison or arrested. Sometimes you're hindered or prevented because the Holy Spirit prevents you. Something very interesting in Acts chapter 16. They'd passed through the Phrygian and Galatian regions. And having... Uh, uh, it, it says they had been forbidden to speak by the Spirit the word in Asia. Isn't that weird? Do the people in Asia not need the gospel? Yes, they need the gospel. But he was presented in going to these other regions of Asia Minor. Why? Because the Holy Spirit put a check in them. And that they weren't to go. And so there was a, a hindrance, the Holy Spirit said. And after coming to Mysia and then trying to go into Bithynia, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go. He prevents them. Puts a stop sign up. So they go down to Troas. And when they're in Troas, this is in Acts chapter 16, what happens? They has a, a vision from this man from Macedonia, and he's crying out, come over and help us in Macedonia. And, and so what does he do? He sets sail from Troas, and he makes his way to Philippi. When he comes to Philippi, he finds a group of women. And remember, he finds Lydia and these group of women on the Sabbath, and they're a, a place of prayer. There's no synagogue there. And he preaches the gospel, the Lord Jesus, to them. And Lydia and all of her household are saved. Isn't that awesome? And then he ends up being thrown in jail. Remember the story? And then he's in jail, and the Philippian jailer gets saved, and all of his household. And you know what? God sometimes puts a stop sign here so he can give a green light there. And sometimes we can't fully see the way that God is fully working, but we submit, and this is what Paul was doing, I yield myself to the will of God. Not my plans, but his plans preeminently in my life. He had learned to submit to the will of God. How do you know his will? How do you know? Well, let me just say this real clear. Number one, the will of God will never run contrary to the word of God, the scripture. So if you think it's the will of God to do something sinful, you're just deceiving yourself. He never leads you to sin. He never leads you to disparage or degrade someone. He never does that. But he guides you by his spirit. He gives you a peace 
inside your spirit. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, is speaking to us. He guides you by his word, and he guides you in his providential care. God uses circumstances, he uses difficulties, he uses ways beyond our understanding to guide us and lead us. We must be faithful to him every step of the way. Anybody ever had some detours along the journey of life? Does that mean it's contrary to the will of God because your plans were this? No. And Paul said, I'm going to come to Spain. I made my plans. I'm going to Spain. As far as we know, Paul never went to Spain. So he's going to Spain. He said, on my way to Spain, this is my plan. I've laid it out. I'm going to Jerusalem first. After I'm done with that, give gifts to the poor and uh, fulfill the obligations I've made there. Then I'm going to make my way on the next travels to go to Spain. And on my way, I'm going to stop in Rome. And when I get to Rome, I'm going to hang out with you guys, have potluck dinners and fellowship, and teach you, encourage you. And I can't wait for that to happen. And then I want to do evangelism with you. And then you're going to help me give some gifts to me to help me go on to Spain. And then I'm going to go to Spain and do what God's called me to do because I want to preach where the name of Christ has never been preached. So did it work out exactly the way Paul planned? No. He ends up going to Jerusalem, ends up getting arrested. Then he nearly gets killed. Then there's a plot against his life. And then they ship him down to Caesarea for his protection. While he's in Caesarea, he's held captive there for a couple of years. He, but God gives, opens the door for him to preach the gospel to Festus and Drusilla and, and to King Agrippa and to Bernice and, and to others in Caesarea. And he's preaching and proclaiming even as a prisoner. And God, then he finally appeals to Rome because he's a Roman citizen. And so when he appeals to Rome, then they said, the governor said, okay, well, we've got to send him to Rome because he's a Roman citizen. And when do they send him to Rome? They send him in a ship in the wintertime when the seas are terrible. And so he's storm-tossed every which way, and he's scared to death along with everybody else. They're jettisoning all the cargo. And an angel of the Lord stands by him in the night and says, I'm going to make sure you go to Rome. Now tell everybody to stay in this boat. Listen to what I have to say. The ship ends up wrecked, and there's 267 on board. One guy suggests that they kill all the prisoners. Paul said, no, that's not what God planned. And so anyway, they end up going to the little island of Malta. Is this God's plan? Is this God's will? Well, in Malta, a poisonous snake bites him. How could that be in the will of God? But he doesn't die. Hallelujah. And then they listen to him. And then he shares the gospel in Malta and a whole household gets saved and lots of people turn to Christ. And then he ends up in Rome. Not as the apostle to the Gentiles like he thought he might enter. He comes as a prisoner. But he's preaching the gospel. And I love the last sentence in the book of Acts. The last word, unhindered. He is doing the will of God. You have hard, hard times in your life, troubles in your life, difficulties in your life. Folks, we need to submit ourselves to the will of God. James says this, you make your plans, I'm going to go do this, I'm going to go do that. But really what we ought to say, 
if God wills. Jesus said, I didn't come to do my will, not my will, but thine be done. God is working even when you think that your plans are thwarted. He's still working. Can somebody say amen? Many, many years ago, I was invited to go speak at a thing in Kansas City, and we had a beat-up old car, and we had car trouble, and one of the cars broke down, and the other car needed to be at home, and so even though I'd never ridden a train, I decided I'm going to take the train to Kansas City. I got on the train to Kansas City. There was, engine pro- there was a problem with the train. It got delayed. I'm going, what is going on? We stopped at the stop. This guy gets on the train. When I see the guy, it's somebody I'd been witnessing to. I go, that's weird. I've never ridden a train in my life. I said, why are you doing on a train? He goes, I don't know. I never ride a train. I'm taking it to... I said, well, i got a seat right here. He said, by me. Guess what happened? I talked to him about Jesus for a long time. There was a tornado came, and they stopped the train. They said, there's a tornado coming. They think it's coming right down the railroad tracks here, and we're not going to move until it goes past us by. I go, well, brother, have you ever thought about dying? (laughs) Shared the gospel with him. I'd like to tell you that Jake got saved that day. He didn't. And so he said, he got off, he said, but I'll think about everything you have to say. And I said, I'm praying for you. So Jake got off the plane, off the train. I could call this sermon planes, trains, and automobiles, I think. So he got off the train. And I thought, God, what are you up to? And there's an African-American man sitting um, behind us. And he said, excuse me, are you a preacher or something? I said, yeah. He said, I... Hope you don't mind. I was just eavesdropping on your whole conversation. He said, can I talk to you? I said, yes. And he sat and moved up to the seat next to me. And he said, I know that you were trying to ask that man to repent of his sin and give his life to Christ. He said, but I couldn't help as you were telling it to him that you were telling it to me. And he said, would you pray with me? I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. God is sovereignly working in this world. And we need to submit ourselves to the will of God. And understand when difficulties or hardships or trials come into your life, that God in His providence works all things together for good. And he is carrying out his providential will. What we must do is be faithful in the storms, faithful in the difficulties, faithful to do the thing that we know that God has called us to do. Be salt and light and witnesses and care to people in this broken world. And don't get so upset that your plans didn't work out the way you think that they should work out. Understand that God is purposefully working to carry out his will in this world. Amen?
Thirdly, notice he longs. He longs to see them, to be with them. Notice in this passage in Romans, he says, I want very much to seek, very much to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to do what? To strengthen you. That is, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Well, let's talk about this a minute. He says, I can't wait to be with you. I long to be with you. First of all, I want to enjoy fellowship with you. I want to see you. I want to see your face. I want to spend time with you. I want to enjoy fellowship with you. The second point, quickly, is I want to enrich you. And what he says, I'd like to impart a spiritual gift to you. What he means here is, some have taken this to mean, he's talking about maybe Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. uh, No, no, no. What he's talking about here, Paul does, number one, Paul does not impart spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit gives gifts, not Paul. Paul says, I want to come and minister to you and see how the Holy Spirit, who has gifted me, might use those gifts to help encourage you and strengthen you. So he wants to enjoy fellowship. He wants to enrich them. Thirdly, he wants to establish them. All right? That word establish means to strengthen them. He wants to disciple them, train them. Yes, they've come to know Jesus, but he knows that God's gifted him in a special way. And God is he's given his life to study and teaching and training and equipping. And he wants to see them go deep and become strong in their faith. The word strengthen here is in a passive voice that carries the idea that God is the one strengthening them to strengthen you, strengthen, make you strong in your faith. And shouldn't that be the heart of every missionary in every church, to see believers not only saved, but grow strong in their faith? Amen. Finally, to encourage them. He says this in a wonderful way, and it's, it's so beautiful in the way that he says it. Don't miss this. It's not, he says that is to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. He said, I can't wait to come and minister among you and to bless you and to, to serve you. And he says, and I can't wait to come and try and encourage you and exhort you and teach you and train you. But I can't wait to come because I need you. I'll learn from you. And I, I, I know that I, Paul knew his own weaknesses. He knew his own discouragement. And he knew that when he was with them, ministering among them, loving them, that it wasn't a one-way street. Leon Morris said the traffic's not one way in the ministry of encouragement. And he says... It's not a one-way thing. And here's the problem. Some, what happens with the, when the encouragers get discouraged? What happens? How does it happen that encouragers get discouraged? It's because we make it about us, about me. Here's one of the greatest temptations Satan uses And it's a tool in his tool bag. And we're not ignorant concerning his schemes. And it's discouragement. 
And when you get discouraged, then you stop encouraging, and it leads to a loss of courage and affects the whole church. But when you encourage, you find encouragement. And when you give out, and when you pour out your life, you find life. And when you lose it, you find it. When you lay it down, you save it. And give, and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down and shaken together. Jesus said himself, the greatest encourager of all, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom to many. And sometimes, if you're not careful, we begin to think, yeah, but who's helping me? Who's pouring their life into me? Who's encouraging me? Nobody's helping me. Nobody's for me. What becomes central? Me. And then what happens? I don't care about encouraging you. So how do I find encouragement in my life? I'm getting ready to tell you. How many of y'all here today, just it would be honest, honest. I need encouragement in my life. And if you just be honest, would you just raise your hand? I need encouragement in my life. All right. Hold them up again. Be honest. Now I want you to look around the room. How many people need encouragement? There's no shortage of need. Let me tell you what. I want you to make it your mission to start encouraging others. <laughs> and when you start encouraging them, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to get encouraged in your own life. Because as you give, as you encourage, as you see them, they begin to enjoy. You know what? I, I know, pardon me, but I'm just going to use a sports illustration, all right? And, and Jay, don't get lost. Listen, um, <laughs> Jay, Adam Wayne, right place for the Cardinals, just in case you didn't know. And he's a great pitcher. He's 40 years old. Just a kid. But in baseball terms, he's an old man. And then he is not pitching. He's in that, he is in that dugout, and he is encouraging every one of them. And he's talking to the younger pitchers. He's talking about what he throws, and he's talking about batters, and he's talking about how baseball ought to be played, and he's encouraging, encouraging, encouraging. When he gets on the mound, he's throwing. He's working his hardest, and you know what? Yadier Molina comes out to the mound, and he encourages the fire out of him. And they're all encouraged. Can you imagine Melina? Now, Melina can also exhort. <laughs> but he also encourages. And you receive the exhortation much better when you've been encouraged by the same voice. Amen? In our church, we exhort each other. Let's live right. Let's walk right. Let's do right. Let's follow Jesus. Let's repent of sin. But let's encourage each other in the faith. Amen. Amen. The other day I was at a restaurant. And I'm, t I'm telling you, I've never seen a day like this where you can't get workers to work in businesses. It's just the weirdest time. But the people that are working, 
things are slow, the food comes out slower, the service is slower, the waiters are slower, the receptionists are slower, the managers are bald-headed, pull their hair out. Instead of being gripey that day, I said, I'm going to encourage the fire out of these people. And I encouraged the manager. I encouraged the lady that asked me if I wanted a seat. I encouraged my waitress, told her what an awesome job she was. Thank you for serving. Thank you for a good job. She said, I'm the only waitress on this whole floor. I said, I'm telling you what, you, are, you do an awesome job. You take care of people. You are a bright, you are a bright light in this place. And I, I thank God for you. I'm praying for you today. I just want you to know you're here. And you know what? I just watched her. She just got a pep in her step as she was pouring the coffee. And she kept my coffee cup full, boy. <laughs> and then before I left, I went to the manager and I said, I want you to know I'm praying for you. I know these are hard days. You're doing a great job with your team. I know God's going to give you some new team members. And he, he said, I can't believe He said, thank you. And I mean, just to encourage him. I walked out the car. Guess who felt better? Me. What comes out of your mouth? I've, I've spent longer here than I meant to. The Holy Spirit speaking to you now. He said, not only that, he says, I want to evangelize among you. I want to come and gather fruit among you. When I come to visit, he says, in verse 13, I don't want you to be unaware. Brother says, I often planned, but I've been prevented. He says, but he says, in order, but I want to come so that I might have a fruitful ministry, that I might have harvest, that I might gather fruit with you, among you. I think here we're talking about evangelism. And I want to evangelize with you. Finally, my time is done. Verse 14, he says, I'm indebted. He says, he's indebted to them. Now, notice who he's indebted to. Verse 14, I am obligated, and I think a good translation here is indebted, both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. What does Paul mean that he's indebted? He's indebted to Greek-speaking people. He's indebted to barbarian people, people who weren't in Greek culture. Most of us from the rest of Europe would be considered barbarians in these days. To both wise people and foolish people, educated and dumb, uneducated. He says, I carry a debt. Where did he get the debt? I'm going to ask for a couple of volunteers to help me real quick. This is off the cuff a little bit. Jerry Martin, would you please come up here? And Pastor Jay, if you'll stand right over here. Jerry, you can stand beside me, please. All right. I didn't talk to Jerry about this, but I'm going to tell him something. Okay, stand right here. Now, Jerry, I want to give you this gift. We're going to play. Stand right here so people in line can see. Okay, right here. Right here. Yeah, there you go. Sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Were you in the military? Okay, good. There you go. Right there. Now, I'm going to give this gift to you, Jerry, but it's not yours. No. No. Now, listen. 
I want you, I'm entrusting this to you, and I want you to give this gift to Pastor Jay. It's his gift, but I'm entrusting it to you. Okay, Pastor Jay, come right here. And by the way, he's real close. He's right behind you. Okay, I want you to give him this gift. Thank you. When I gave that gift to Jerry, he was in debt. He was in debt with a gift that I gave him. It's not his gift. The debt was to Jay. And the debt was not paid until he gave the gift to Jay. God has given you a gift. But he gave it so that you give it. And you're indebted to give it away. And until Jesus comes, that's why Paul said, I am eager and ready as soon as God allows to come and preach among you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. It's so powerful, so rich, so true, so transforming. And I pray that God, we would give and go and be and pray as the people of God submitted and yielded to the will of God. In Jesus' name, amen.